Hello and welcome to the Vertiguys show. My name is Eric. Oh, we're not we're not doing accents the whole time. I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> All right, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm Sean, and we're the Vertiguys. We're checking out the dark side of DC, and this is about as dark as it gets. <laughs> we're gonna recap some Vertigo comics, starting with the big three: Sandman, Hellblazer, and today, Preacher Special, the Good Old Boys. Preacher Special, the Good Old Boys. This is a Preacher comic book that stars, as the protagonists, the villains. As the nominal good guys. Yeah. Oh. Oh, man. It'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> we'll spoil the whole thing, why don't you? Okay, you know what? This is, um... Never mind. This is... It's all good fun. Ah. <laughs> I wasn't saying you were wrong. I was saying you jumped to the gun. You don't want to commit to that. <laughs> this was written by Garth Ennis. The art is by Carlos Ascara. Carlos Ascara is a co-creator of Judge Dredd. Uh, we've covered his work on the Saint of Killers miniseries. He also did a bunch of war stories with Garth Ennis. And unfortunately passed away just a few days ago at the time of this recording. Yeah, that's right. Still very fresh. But we're going to cover this comic book anyway. And uh, fortunately, the art is good. We won't have to say anything negative about Mr. Ascara. Yeah. Colors by Nathan Ehring. Cover by Glenn Fabry. Yeah, and this cover is sort of Star Wars looking. Yeah, sort of a movie poster. Got Jody in a heroic pose. There's a blonde woman clinging to his leg. There's a billowing Confederate flag behind him. Yeah, if you can't tell that it's satirical. The, the, the like, brave... <laughs> redneck guy with his shirt open standing up in front of a confederate flag is a fairly <laughs> clear indication yeah so we've got this character saddam hopper who's the bad guy of the comic book there's a gorilla who will also be making an appearance and of course there's tc holding up a fish and winking yeah <laughs> okay so we open on the narration a couple of years back before they was dead it looks like jody is laying in the shade of a tree relaxing while his friend TC is fishing, but not for dinner. Oh, ain't you a sweetie, he says as he pulls a fish out of the water. Do you think we should recap a bit of who these guys are and what their context is in Preacher? I guess so. (laughs) Or does that just make this so much worse? I know it's like, no, it's important, I guess, to know. But the thing is that like this comic book is going to make it very clear who these guys are (laughs) in very short order. Okay. You know? They are the henchmen of Grandma. Yeah, Jesse Custer's grandma, Marie Langell. The villain of the Angelville story arc. Yeah. And these are basically the guys who made Jesse's childhood. Well, they had a big hand in it, and Grandma did too, uh, in making Jesse's childhood a living hell, pretty much. Yeah, and as the opening narration indicates, by the time this comic came out in real time, we had already seen the issues of Preacher in which Jesse kills these guys. Right. Doesn't Tulip kill one of them? Yeah, Tulip and... kills TC, Jesse kills Jody. Yeah. Okay. So, if at any point, just that's your, that's your, your North Star. If at any point, <laughs> if at any point in this comic book, you start to feel overwhelmed, just remember, these guys do die. <laughs> Later. Yeah. And you can, you, you can read the comic book where it happens. I stopped to read that comic book four times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's <laughs> not true. That's not true. It was three times. Anyway, so TC starts dirty talking the fish. 
Yeah, looks like he's reaching for his fly here. TC has a thing about animals. We don't need to go into any more detail than that. Not just animals. Objects, yeah, I forgot about that, but they're going to mention that in a minute here. That'll, that'll come up. Yeah, I wrote my notes as rapey talk. Okay, which is... Yeah. Yeah. But Jody protests that they don't have time because they have to go meet a guy named Lachance. Right, if they're late, Lachance will declare a forfeit. TC throws his fish aside in frustration. Plenty more fish in the sea, Jody says. That's a pun. Yes. Quick-witted Jody. Known <laughs> for his sense of humor. Although he actually does a lot of one-liners in this one. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, he's sort of nominally the hero here. Speaking of which, we find a hero and a love interest. Yeah, and these characters are paper-thin, very obviously satirical. He says, hey, don't mess with me, lady. I'm a cop on the edge. And she says, you watch how you talk to me then. Remember, I'm a supermodel turned lawyer with a dangerous secret. And they have just crashed their plane in the swamp. Or rather, he has just crashed their plane in the swamp. Yeah, and their names are Cal and Tommy. Yeah, she's Tommy. Right. He is Cal Hicks. And they are not alone here. They are accompanied by Cal's dog, Old Doofus. (laughs) I wrote, Tommy, is her dangerous secret that she's a Republican? Well, she mentions here that she has a tape in her panties with evidence on an international terrorist, which she needs to give to the FBI. I guess that's the dangerous secret. We don't find out another one. No, yeah. So, way to announce the dangerous secret one page later. Well, that's not the secret. The fact that she has the tape is not the secret. The contents of the tape are the dangerous secret. Okay. So, it's a MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. He says something about how he's been framed for murder. Yeah, I mean... He's a cop on the edge. They're always getting framed for murder, I guess. Clearly, there's some backstory here. It's not going to matter. Right. Yeah, but it's making clear that we came into the second act of this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. She tries to stalk off and ends up slipping and falling into the swamp. He then falls on top of her. And then there's kind of a twist on that cliche. What are you, some kind of rapist? You like to fall on a girl with a giant fucking boner? I did not. I fucking well did not. It must have been my gun. Your gun's in your shoulder holster. Right. So, yeah, she's not having it. Oh, also the sound effect when he falls is whoop. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) He literally says whoop. It's coming from him. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, I guess it's not a sound effect. It's an involuntary utterance. But there's, like, at least one more whoop in this issue. And then when I was done reading this, I read some Punisher. And there's more whoops in there. I guess it's just like, it's just a given. Like when Garth Ennis writes a guy falling. (laughs) So we're already getting the sense here that he has a certain idea of how this is going to go, and it's probably not. Yeah. Jody and TC arrive. They find a bunch of rednecks gathered around this guy who looks like Boss Hog, only uglier. Yeah, he's got a lot of hat. He might be a warlock. Yeah, he's got a lot of teeth, too. Got this big toothy grin all the time with a cigar sticking out of his mouth. He looks kind of like Mad Hatter. Yeah, he kind of does. Probably not. He's probably not. Moonlighting in the swamp. He might be moonshining. Could be, yeah. This is Lachance. He's basically running a fighting pit here. He's a guy named Lachance who's running a gambling ring. Oh. Yep. And Jody is apparently in the habit of fighting in this ring. This time, Lachance isn't even sure that Jody is going to win. We're gonna see about that. Got me a real gorilla this time around. 
Yeah, so I didn't take that as figurative. I thought he was just like, I got a real gorilla. I got an actual gorilla. We'll see about that. But got me an actual gorilla. I got me an actual gorilla to fight you. Well, um, so the next page wasn't terribly surprising for you. No. <laughs> what was surprising for me was that they were mad about it. <laughs> They's like, you fucking said. <laughs> Let's roll back the tape on that one. I would like you to fight a gorilla. <laughs> Gentlemen, I've summoned you here for one reason. So, yeah, Jody hands TC his pistol. He climbs into this fighting pit, and we get some chatter from the guys gathered around the pit that they don't even bet on the fights anymore. They just come to watch, because they know that Jody's going to win and he's going to put on a show. Yeah, but this time they are betting against him, because when we see his opponent... It's an actual gorilla. It's an actual gorilla. And it says, Rawr! Oh, yeah, he does. Yep. Jody says, so when you said a real gorilla, you meant a real gorilla. Guys, I don't recommend drinking every time we say real gorilla. We're almost done, but I think you might already be dead. <laughs> yeah, that's a, not a thing for doing. Not recommended. So we cut to a tall building. And inside, a man is cursing badly. Yeah, so this is Saddam Hopper. He's the villain of the piece. Well... First of all, let's talk about his surroundings. He's in a fancy hotel in probably Miami or something. Right. And he is surrounded by beautiful women who are possibly about to give him a massage of some kind. And he's got some champagne here on ice. Mm-hmm. He's yelling at his men for assuming that Hicks and Tommy drowned in the swamp. And he wants them to go after them. Right. Yeah, and he, he's swearing badly. Possibly that's a joke on the fact that his English isn't very good, although they don't really... The writing doesn't make it out to be, like, general jokes about his English not being good. It's always jokes about him not being able to swear. Right. So I guess it's okay. But yeah, it just, this seems a little offensive. I don't know what, Saddam is obviously a reference to Saddam Hussein. Yeah, with the name and the mustache, he's obviously invoking Saddam Hussein. He's kind of a parody of the kind of stereotypical foreign villain that a B-movie like this might have. Hmm. I didn't know what the Hopper was supposed to be a reference to, if anything. Dennis Hopper? I don't know. Maybe they just wanted, you know, a, a foreign-sounding first name and a less foreign-sounding last name. Yeah, maybe that's the joke. Dennis Hopper did play a villain with a thick foreign accent in 24. Mm, that's right. But that wouldn't have been out yet. No, they wouldn't have known about that. And he's kind of blurring multiple villain archetypes here. He's apparently like a rich Miami drug dealer and an international terrorist. Well, yeah, so he says that he's a an international terrorist. This is covered multiple times. But if he has any political agenda, we don't know what it is, besides that he hates Americans. I guess he makes that pretty clear. Yeah. But it seems like he doesn't want anyone to know that he's an international terrorist. <laughs> so... But he's always shouting about the international terrorism he does. Yeah, but he's also trying to get this tape, which, you know, what would it prove? Besides that he's an international terrorist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the tape of him shooting somebody. So, yeah, I'm, I'll be clear here that I'm not saying it's not offensive. I'm just saying I think that it's intended to be two-dimensional and... Possibly more satirizing racism than race? Yeah, it's definitely satirical racism, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, like I said, they're not doing too many jokes on his accent or his bad English. It's just the fact that he doesn't know how to swear, which is fairly funny. Hmm. 
Now we see a bunch of these mercenary types standing around the crashed plane. They are going to head out in search of Cal and Tommy. Yeah. And then Saddam Hopper has a line here. I'm not going to do an accent for Saddam Hopper. Just my colonic irrigation, Hawkins. I am having my shit sucked out of me, yes? That ought to take a while, says Hawkins as he hangs up. So there's a setup here that he's... Looks like he's going to get a massage from some beautiful women, then it turns out to be a not glamorous at all medical procedure. Right. I guess if he's going to have it, he wants to have it his way. (laughs) (laughs) With, you know, champagne and, and beautiful women. Yeah, I have written a hotel. Maybe it's a fancy clinic. Could be. Meanwhile, back in the fighting pit, they're sizing up Jody's odds. Yeah, TC and Jody seem pretty pissed about the actual gorilla situation. Jesus, Jody, LaChance is giving 50 to 1 against you. See if he'll go as high as 80. Tell him I got laid last night. Is that supposed to make him a worse fighter? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a well-known urban legend. Oh, okay. For all sorts of athletes. Is that they perform better if they haven't had sex in a while. Oh, okay. Completely over my head. LaChance drops two baseball bats into the pit. The ape doesn't know what to do with his, but Jody immediately cracks his over the ape's head. There is a pretty funny panel here of the ape, like, studying his baseball bat and scratching his chin. Yeah. The ape howls pitiably. Getting hit with the bat makes him mad enough to fight. But then Jody immediately stabs him in the mouth with the broken half baseball bat, grabs the ape's bat, and beats him to death. This takes about three pages, and it's pretty horrible. I mean, the ape looks scary, but he's obviously not here for a fight. It's just kind of an innocent animal that they killed. Yeah, this is definitely animal cruelty. TC shouts out, uh, Go on, Jody! Whoop his banana-chewing ass! It gets Negan-esque. Mm. So TC has an offensive stereotype even for apes. Every time I hear TC, I I think of Top Cat. (laughs) I can't (laughs) not... You just go do... Batman versus Top Cat instead. <laughs> Top Cat, yeah. That was a good comic book. So LaChance hands over the money and makes excuses about not having told Jody about the ape, uh, which he did say that he was going to fight a real gorilla. Yeah. Again, I didn't take it as a pun. Jody's having none of that. Say you want your bat back. Yeah, so whenever you see, like, and not just in this comic book, but in general, Y-O-R-E for the word your... You know, that's consistently when a southern accent is written down, people use that spelling of the word your. I don't know how that's supposed to be pronounced any differently. (laughs) I think you draw out the R a little bit. I would say your. He says your. Oh, okay. Like the second half of your. (laughs) Fair enough. Incidentally, we can see here Jody lighting his cigarette with the fuck communism lighter that he took from John Custer and that Jesse will take from him later on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He also has... No, that's a red left hand. Never mind. Oh, yeah, okay. Anyway, he offers the bat back, and then he appears to have shoved it up LaChance's ass, much like Jesse did with Jonathan's katana back in New Orleans, or later in New Orleans. Yeah, it's a rapey joke, and all the good old boys are laughing. This time it doesn't seem to have killed him, which I guess makes this a more cartoonish story than that one. Right. Yeah. No, he just looks kind of confounded that this could be his fate. So they talk about going into town to get laid. Yeah, Jody likes the idea, though. He makes sure that Miss Marie didn't want anything done first. Yeah. TC is in a hurry, though. He considers catching something to fuck on the way to town. 
I swear, TC, sometimes I think you won't be happy till you poke every damn thing in creation. I mean, hell, that time with the cake just about beat all. A little Jesse's 10th birthday? You're not going to read the rest of it? No, it's just it's just some sexist garbage. <laughs> I just wanted to point out the horribleness of him having fucked the cake at Jesse's birthday. It is pretty horrible, but the thing he said when he, when he was talking about the sponge and the cream topping, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It made a kind of perverse sense. It sounds like it was a very attractive cake. Meanwhile, Hicks and Tommy make their way through the swamp. Suddenly, Doofus barks at something. Yeah, and distracted by him barking, they fall off of the log that they're crossing, just in time for it to protect them from a hail of gunfire. Yeah, and as Hicks is trying to shield her behind this log and shoot back at the mercenaries, she is blaming his every move on another attempt to grope her. Yeah, so that's... Obviously kind of problematic because she's being cast as, like, hypersensitive to imagined advances. Mm, right. Which uh, isn't what happens in real life. Yeah, I'll say that we're not sure that he doesn't have ill intentions. Well, he definitely is interested in having sex with her. That's canonical. Yeah. So, anyway, the two of them get caught by the mercenary goons, and they are just about to be shot... When Jody and TC just kind of stroll on through. Yeah, this is a pretty funny panel layout. Them walking in the background of all the mercenaries. Mercenaries kind of looking up like, what the hell? (laughs) TC says, howdy! And then walks on. So the mercs think that they need to kill Jody and TC for having witnessed this scene. (laughs) Yeah, Jody says they're just minding their business. But the guys want to fight anyway. And so Jody and TC just thoroughly demolish them and murder them all. Yeah, they just kind of ignore them to the point of aggravation and then just instantly turn and kill several of them in just a couple panels. Yeah, Jody is always stone-faced when he's shooting people, and TC is always smiling. Hmm, good point. One of the guys he shoots here seems to be Han Solo. What? Top panel. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's got the black vest and his, his submachine gun looks kind of like... A Blast Tech DL-44. Well, I don't know what that is, but it looks like Han Solo's gun, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, Carlos's carriage just, like, decided to draw Han Solo here. <laughs> Getting shot in the head. <laughs> Getting shot in the face. Yeah, but I guess maybe that was his least favorite character in that movie. So, having witnessed all this murder and Cal and Tommy, their jaws drop, and they are speechless. Yeah, and well... Jody is drowning the last bad guy. He's reloading his gun while standing on a guy's face that's under the water. Starts talking with TC about Cal and Tommy. I seen them. What'd you figure they was doing here with these boys, huh? I don't rightly care. Nice ass on the gal, though. Uh Uh-huh. Eh, he hasn't seen her from behind. From that angle? No, it's just impossible. Even accountants have imagination? Okay. Yeah, you raise a good point. <laughs> In any case, you're a bad man, Jody. As we already knew. And just then, Cal opines, who are these guys? And then a boatload more mercenaries show up and open fire again. Yeah. Jody and TC take off. Tommy suggests they run after them, and they do. Whoop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cal trips over a root and says whoop again. <laughs> TC has grabbed Tommy here and pulled her behind a tree to hide from the mercenaries. And they are apparently out of sight, Cal being low to the ground and the rest of them being behind a tree. Right. Mercenary leader Hawkins says that they've lost him and circles back. 
he's on the phone with their boss, Saddam Hopper, who replies, Piss it to shit! This is too big fucking important for such incompetence. Yeah, and then he decides, I'm coming down there myself! They always do that. They always think that they know the swamp better than whoever the hero is. They never do! No, yeah, I would leave it to the mercenaries and stay comfortably, maybe uncomfortably. Just, you're happier where you are, Saddam, trust me. Maybe he really doesn't want that colonic irrigation. That was my thought. This is just an excuse to delay a necessary medical procedure. <laughs> Be mature. Be an adult about this, man. Get checked out. Yeah. Is it a necessary... I have no idea! <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not his fucking doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an admission here. This is one I didn't research for the show notes. It's not, but it's not like a new age medicine thing, right? It's like an actual thing. I really have no idea. Okay. Yeah, I'm not looking this up. <laughs> <laughs> so the mercenaries haven't passed them by. Jody decides that it's time to hit on Tommy. Ain't Tommy a fellow's name? Um, no, it's with an I. You know, Tommy. Still sounds like a fellow's name to me. I want to point this out, too. Cal immediately basically dragoons them to start helping. I'm going to need a vehicle and a route to get out of these swamps. Well, shit. Pardon me while I go fetch the fucking Bentley. Oh, yeah, and Jody is teasing Tommy about having a boy's name, even though his name is Jody. <laughs> yeah, that's probably part of the joke. But she says, it's like Bobby or Jerry or Andy. And he says, or Butchie or Hanky or Gregory. <laughs> He adds here, Well, hell, if a gal's got a sweet ass and a set of titties like yours, I guess she can call herself Steve McFucking Queen if she wants to. Hey, you can't talk to her like that, says Cal, intervening. Believe me, pal, I am the last man in the world you want to fuck with. Guess I better not fuck with you then, you being such a tough guy and all. So they head off. TC pulls Jody aside. Excuse me if I missed something, Jody, but how come you didn't just rip his fool head off so we can give them other fellas the slip and go get us some poontang like we said? The hell, them whores are still gonna be there, TC. Besides, you look at that boy, the way he talks, the way he handles himself, he reckons he's a goddamn hero. And heroes is always fun. Foreboding! Yeah, this is like the first time that you go read all of them. <laughs> we cut to later on in the evening. Uh, yeah, they've set up a camp here. They're drinking moonshine. TC is explaining that he keeps it stashed all over the swamp in case of emergencies. <laughs> right. Yeah, Tommy asks what the two boys do here, and TC has a little speech about how they're, they're just ordinary good old boys. They hang out in the swamp, they do chores, occasionally they shoot some people. You know, he's aware of stereotypes about rednecks being inbred and murderous and stuff. He just doesn't see that there's any value in that. Yep. So we've reached the staple. And in my copy, we have a big two-page spread ad for the video game Wild Arms. Oh, wow. Wild Arms 1. This does not convey much of an impression of what that game is about. No, like, old PlayStation 1 era ads almost never do. It looks like it's about driving a car through hell. That's not what Wild Arms is about? No. <laughs> That's like a Western RPG, right? Yeah. Not like a Western RPG, but like a Western <laughs> RPG. <laughs> it's a JRPG with a Western milieu. Yeah. Of course, that's what I meant. Except it's not even all that Western a milieu. Like, one of the main characters has a gun and a different one wears a trench coat, but it's pretty standard medieval fantasy after the first hour. I see. Well, that makes me less interested. 
I mean, it takes place on a planet in the future, and there's satellites later on, but that's really not a Western milieu. No. Okay, so Cal wants everyone to keep watch, but Jody says there's a million critters in the woods. If they come, we'll hear them. Yeah, now at this point, Hicks tries to enlist the help of Tommy to go for a walk. Right. He doesn't feel safe. She's kind of uncomprehending as as to why he would expect her to go with him, which is fair. He kind of stomps off. Tommy explains, I have a tape I got sent by mistake full of evidence on this terrorist guy. So what's it like living around here? That's all one speech bubble. (laughs) Yeah, she changed the subject pretty quick. But she asks what it's like living there, and TC explicitly compares it to the Dukes of Hazzard. Except local folks fuck their kin a lot more. Hicks pops back in, asking Tommy once more if she'd like to go for a walk. Uh, She says maybe later. But she's clearly fascinated by TC at this point. Yeah. Really, we ain't so different to most fellas, honey. Hell, we're just a couple good old boys. Later on, we find in silhouette, Hicks and Tommy making out in the swamp. Yeah, we don't really know how we got to this point, since she seemed so disinterested before. I thought maybe he was just fantasizing. But it seems to be real. Yeah, but it seems like it's not really gonna happen. Yeah, how do we put this? He's having trouble getting started. Hmm. She takes this opportunity to reiterate that she doesn't even know what she's doing here, as she's clearly not attracted to him. Yep, and she decides to leave. He calls after her. Aw, no, you can't leave me like this. To which she says, oh, fuck you. And he whines, Tommy, after she leaves. As Tommy gets back to camp, Jody strikes up a conversation. Nice night. Meanwhile, Hicks seeks some friendly companionship from Doofus. That's not a euphemism. He's really just trying to hang out with his dog. Yeah, he's also muttering about how all women are whores. Oh, yeah. Douchebag. Great guy. Doofus, also not interested. He's just looking for a place to poop. Yep. And Doofus wanders off, and when he gets back to camp, TC sees him and says, Nice night. Okay, it's morning, and Hicks is trying to hustle everyone along. Many fingers am I holding up, Jody says. Huh? Why? Just checking you didn't go blind last night, boy. What the hell's that supposed to mean? Oh, nothing. I warned you, mister. I'm the last man you ever want to fuck with. Shit, way I hear it, you're about the last man I can fuck with. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> TC gives him the heads up. There's more outboards coming. By which he means boats. Yeah, it's Hopper and his men. In the motorboats. Saddam Hopper gonna show you how it's done. We get the tape back, then we have our fun. We gonna get those limp shits and fuck them up good, yes? Whatever you say, sir. Whatever I say, big dick right, whatever I say. That's how you do international terrorism. (laughs) Again, he has not been seen doing any international terrorism. He just says he does it. (laughs) Right. Shits do what you say, or they learn they get dicked. Dicked for good. I put it about, and all the dick pricks know. Saddam Hopper dicks them all. He's bad at swearing. He's terrible at it. Um, But as he's saying this, Hawkins is actually getting pulled up into the trees by a noose, and he doesn't even notice. Yeah. Now, at this point in my copy is where we come upon an ad for the soundtrack album to the film Batman and Robin. Oh, all right. Smashing Pumpkins. Jewel, R. Kelly. Yeah. You forgot Bone Thugs and Harmony. I did forget Bone Thugs and Harmony. I watched Batman Forever 
not that long ago. I watched completely, Batman Forever not that long ago. Didn't, uh, I had completely forgotten that it ends with a U2 song. Oh, I didn't make it to the end. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch it because of Panel on Panels? No. Oh, okay. They did an episode on it recently on Panel on Panels. Um, I watched it because I think it's a better Batman movie than Batman Returns. Just about every time I watch one of those movies, I come away concluding the other one must be better. I could not get through Batman Forever. Literally, I was like, it can't be as bad as I remember. I'll try to watch it. And it's fucking awful. (laughs) That bad, huh? Yeah. It was was much worse, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, if not much worse, at least, like, equally as bad as I remembered it being. Yeah. I, I like Batman Returns. We could have this argument ad infinitum forever, but I recently, not as recently, Batman Forever was like a month ago. About eight or nine months ago, I watched Batman and Batman Returns in the same evening. And I think Batman Returns might be the better of those two movies. Oh my. Yeah. I see. The two Michael Keaton ones, I think Returns might be better. This is this is the bonus episode on our Patreon page. We actually have the fight about Batman Returns <laughs> for an hour and a half. <laughs> Well, that's what they're always doing on panel on panels, so I mean... That's what the podcast is? They fight about movies? Arguing about Batman movies. No, no, it's not... That's not the premise of the podcast, it's just what always ends up happening. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, Batman and Robin's soundtrack album. Anyway, they've got Hawkins in a noose here, and they're questioning him. He tells them that Hopper's a bad news terrorist, and if they don't give him the girl, he'll bring in badasses to tear this swamp apart. Jody just drops him to the end of the rope. They briefly consider handing Tommy over, but Jody likes her. Shit, not unless we gotta. That gal's so sweet you could use her shit for toothpaste. Hicks tries to form a plan. Jody says the plan is stay put and shut up. You and I are on a collision course. A fucking collision course, you got me. His attempt at tough guy talk. Right, right. At this point, Jody's gonna make clear exactly how unpleasant a set of characters he and TC are. Guess this is your first lynching, huh? Implying that he's been to many lynchings. Right, exactly. That's not cool. No, that's re- that's not remotely acceptable. You did a little shake of your head there, which I took to mean, and these guys are the fucking heroes, somehow. Yeah, I mean, clearly, like, the comic book knows that they're bad people. Yeah. They get their comeuppance, and then some, in the actual pages of Preacher. Yeah. But this special just seems like a weird exercise, you know? in making them out to, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this when we get to the end but a weird exercise in making them out to be like protagonists and just cooler than anybody else around yeah anyway what Jody is getting at is that being hanged tends to loosen a fellow's grip on his shit is all Hicks is standing directly under the body and from some distance away we hear him yell ah it's in my hair and Saddam hears it too and opens fire with a bazooka, yelling, Suck my weapon! Yeah, there's a big explosion. Tommy and Hicks are hiding behind a tree. Nobody's actually hurt by the big explosion. We get done with this, comments one of the mercenaries. I'm going back to work for the Cubans. At least they know how to fucking swear. As he's saying that, though, Jody has swum behind their boat and is climbing up on the back of it. I don't think there's any way to hoist yourself onto somebody's boat without them noticing. It's a very stable outboard, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, the whole boat would tilt towards him if he did that for real. But whatever. Hicks and Tommy try to surrender, intimidated by the bazooka, but Hopper plans to kill them anyway. 
I'm not sucking Dixie here, cum farts. The tape! Meanwhile, a guy on the boat thinks he hears something. He leans over the water to investigate, and TC pops out and slashes his throat. And then there's a big action scene. TC pulls the pin on the grenades of the guy he just killed, which blows up his boat. Jody, though, he picks up the motor, or the propeller, and uses it to murder all the guys in this other boat with. Yeah, there's a guy here looking upward in surprise as the top of his head has been sawed off. That seems like a signature preacher wound. It seems like the Saint of Killers did similar things to guys. I don't know. Possibly. What the shit is going on? Blow him! I said blow him! Yells Saddam. Okay, so there's three boats. One TC has blown up. One, uh, there were four. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's not really worth trying to keep track of. There's some violence. Yeah, anyway, the point is that Hopper and his men are on one boat shooting at the other where they think that Jody and TC are. Yeah, Jody and TC kill a bunch of the guys and get away, but Hopper has Cal and Tommy and decides to keep them alive for bait. Be a whole lot simpler finishing this at night. So, as they're tied up together, Tommy happens to mention that she doesn't have the tape anymore. I mean, it wasn't my panties, but it must have fallen out when Jody tore them off me with his teeth. You mean you actually fucked that guy? Well, well, yes. But he's a fucking murdering redneck. He's white trash. The guy's like some kind of goddamn serial killer. Jody actually is a serial killer. Yeah, that part's true. Tommy asks what's the big deal, and Cal professes his love for her. Right. God damn it, I fell in love with you the minute I saw you. I think you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I love you, and I thought you were in love with me too. <laughs> Sorry. After I saved you from the terrorists and we stole the helicopter, I was sure we were destined to be together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he says, He knew they were going to make love. I could see how it would happen. Under the stars with deep blue twilight falling across our bodies and you sort of, you know, gasping a lot. And then at the end, our fingers would entwine and we'd hold each other forever. Cal? Yeah? Have you ever actually had sex with anyone? <laughs> That's a fairly good line. And then it's time to jam again. Because Space Jam is available on pay-per-view! <laughs> pay-per-view, motherfuckers! <laughs> not the theater, not home media. Pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. Yeah, so, like, things came to pay-per-view, like, a little ways before they came to, like, VHS. We get DVDs so fast now. Yeah, well, this is true. Although, this is basically the same shit. Like, I just saw an ad... The other day, that Mission Impossible Fallout is going to be available digitally something like three weeks before the Blu-ray release. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So now it's now it's streaming first, and then home yeah. media. Well, yeah. I mean, streaming is basically what pay-per-view is. Like, yeah, I guess that's right. Pay-per-view is kind of a proto version of on-demand, or you know, renting it from iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I love this ad. It's time to jam again, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> The ad does not say motherfucker. <laughs> no. No, but it has the uh, the uh, solemn-looking faces. No, I, I'm not even going to say that. Michael Jordan is not solemn-looking here at all. He's he's having the time of his life. Right. In the mysterious blue light of Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Space Jam. <laughs> the marketing for that movie was terrific. Like, there's nothing bad you could say. You don't know anybody who hasn't seen Space Jam at least three times. <laughs> Yeah. It is a very successful film. 
Somehow we keep wandering off the topic of this comic book. It's because I love these ads. This isn't even, like, remotely close to the only, like, 90s comic book that I own. But for some reason, just all the ads in this are so classic. Okay, so Hopper has been fishing around all this time for an interesting torture, and he's turned up with a heated knife here. He starts torturing Cal, and uh, two mooks who are nearby, one of them says, I reckon we're unlikely to meet a bigger stone-cold motherfucker in our entire lifetimes. Yeah, he can't swear, but as sadistic fucks go, old Saddam's a hard man to beat. Then again, boys, you never can tell. Jody is behind them. We cut back to Saddam torturing him. The only reason I mention this is that he has a fairly good line about how his father used to proudly herd anchovies to market. That doesn't make sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's got some bad, bad guy dialogue here. I fuck you, America, like you fuck the rest of us. And you know what else, America? No reach around. He calls out for his boys and turns around to see that they are all dead. Yeah, murdered off screen. One guy got stabbed in the mouth with his own rifle. That's... Yeah, I was just about to call attention to that too, because that's clearly what happened. There. It's interesting, it seems like every one of these dudes got some kind of creative death. Which is possibly because they had to be silent. Right. Anyways, just incredible to believe that they could pull that off in so little time. Hopper fires all six bullets in a panic. You pair of bastard assholes, show yourselves! We did, boy. You just ain't been looking. Okay, so Jody offers Hopper a deal. He can have the tape and Hicks if he leaves them and Tommy alone. If Hopper doesn't agree, Jody says, he'll rip his head off and let TC shit down his neck. Hopper puts the gun to Tommy's head and says, back off or he's gonna kill her. Jody just keeps walking towards him. Saddam pulls the trigger and click. So Jody gets Hopper in a wrestling hold, turns his head around and snaps his neck. Yeah, oh he, my god, Cal says. He literally tears the guy's head off. Yeah. Comes off just like a big old fucking drumstick, don't it? TC? Yep, guess I better do my part. Either you two got some Kleenex or am I gonna have to wipe with my hand? Tommy asks if Jody counted the bullets. Right, she wants to know that he knew the gun was empty when he made that move. Now why didn't I think of that? Okay, Hicks has had enough. He wants to fight Jody, but he also decides it's time for a sexist rant about Tommy. How she must have been a dumb slut to have slept with Jody. His words. Yeah, and he was never even interested in her with that dirty sewer of a mouth. Jody says Hicks isn't tough, he's just seen too many movies. Right, and around these parts, there's only one use for guys like that. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Well, let's fucking see it, mister. Let's see what you call tough. Give me your best fucking shot. And we cut to him. Tied by his neck to a tree. Yeah, only his head is out of the water. He's got a bloody nose and missing teeth. He I wasn't ready and you know it. You hit me when I wasn't looking. Not so loud, boy. You're gonna wake old Waylon. And we get a close-up on old Waylon, who is an alligator. Oh, Jody, you're such a beast, says Tommy as they walk away. Now, Jody has a line here. Your gal here, she's with me now. Reckon she prefers the taste of Texas dick. We're gonna see that line again. We are? Yeah, in Preacher. In Jesse's imagination, which means maybe they told him this story at some point, which was remarkably inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and TC says same thing goes for your dog. Old Doofus is licking TC's face. Cal keeps yelling. We see old Waylon's eye open. 
in a second, Jody says as they walk away. And we hear Cal scream, and that is the end. Okay. Huh. All right. So, like I said, what a weird exercise in a comic book this is. Yeah, I gotta say my reaction is mostly like, why did you show me that? (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of like, huh? (laughs) I mean, I guess it's pretty funny. And the art is good, and it has good action in it. I think the action movie parody thing has some entertainment value. It doesn't provide any, you know, real insight on Jody and TC. Like, and at this point in the series, we knew they were dead. The opening narration tells us they were dead. They weren't a going concern in Preacher. So we don't really need any deeper look at these characters, and we don't really get one. Yeah, it doesn't do anything to make them more sympathetic to us, like the Saint of Killers series did yeah. for him. Like we said about Arseface, like, this just must be a passion project. Like, Garth Ennis <laughs> must have just wanted to write this. Yeah, I mean, I guess Jesse is, like, a superhero in his own right. Mm-hmm. Having grown up with Jody and learned to fight and shoot from Jody makes him, we see on many occasions, better than most professional mercenaries. Right. So I guess this is, in a sense, the origin of Jesse's skills. Just about the only thing we really learn about the good old boys from this story is that Jody's a badass, and he's actually kind of too badass to be interesting. He's almost indestructible here. Yeah. My mind went to a weird place. But isn't there, like, a character who's, like, a super competent ninja badass who appeared in, like, some fairly silly, pulpy stories? And was later retconned to be Rachel Ghoul's father. Wow, I don't know about that. That sounds interesting, but I don't know. Okay, I'm not sure if that's for real. I have a vague memory now of a character who had all these weird adventures, and then they did a relaunch series, a reboot series with him, where it was revealed he was crazy and his servants were, like, putting on all these adventures for him. Do you remember this? No, I don't know what that is. Okay, okay. That vaguely reminds me of the second Sandman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Jack Kirby, Joe Simon Sandman. Right. Yeah. So maybe Garth Ennis really wanted to do like a a comedic look at basically these two guys who live in the swamp and are the best at living and fighting in the swamp and an action movie lands around them and they basically just kill everybody. Right. I find the characters too vile to really enjoy rooting for. Yeah, so that's my problem with it as well, is that these characters are just like so awful I don't want to root for them. A lot of the humor is in such bad taste that I don't want to laugh at it. Some of it's funny, but a lot of it is just like, is just like, ugh, you know? Yeah, I kind of appreciate like the takedown of the the standard action movie rescue romance plot. Yeah, but what they're elevating over that is like guys who have been to lynchings. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, this was a, this was a tough read. It was a tough read for me both times that I read it. Not my favorite Preacher story. Probably the most dispensable of the uh, Preacher specials to me. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. So, Carlos Esquera's art. Steve Dillon's Preacher art has kind of a gawky realism that makes the weirder character designs come off as grounded. Okay. This is something else. This is more simplified, more iconic. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of just gritty and messy. There's a lot of stubble, a lot of dirt. Yeah, it's very, like, it's very 90s looking. (laughs) Okay. I mean, for lack of a better term. 
And that's the kind of art that I like, but... Yeah. Well, it does the job for this book. Sort of a slightly dirtier preacher. Pretty damn dirty, but... Yeah. It's more detailed. Well, I'm not... I won't put the fault... I'm not putting the fault there. That's what I'll say. My lack of a desire to read that book again has nothing to do with the art. <laughs> no. Yeah, the art's fine. What it's portraying is often things I'd rather not look at. Mm -hmm. The Morrowind problem? <laughs> I don't know if I think that's the problem with Morrowind. <laughs> Why, is that a thing I said about Morrowind before? Yeah, you said once that the graphics in Morrowind were competent, but the world portrayed was hideously ugly. Yeah, I think that's right. Everything. Well, how come everything in Morrowind is some kind of mushroom? <laughs> I think that's what people liked about Morrowind, particularly in comparison, retroactive comparison to Oblivion, which is fairly standard fantasy world, that it was fucking weird. Yeah, I guess. And then it seems like with Skyrim... It got even more standard and washed like any kind of individual character that the series had had out. Well, Skyrim is definitely Viking fantasy, which is a little more specific. Eh, okay. I guess I didn't see it that way. I mean, you've put more hours into Skyrim than I have. But Oblivion at least has some like Elder Scrolls lore going on at all times, whereas Skyrim is really just like... Medieval dragons fantasy. Interesting. That's how I saw it, anyhow. There is definitely an element of, like, they decided they were going to put dragons in this one, and they came up with a way to throw dragons through the window, even though they had not been a big part of the lore before. Right. Hey, check out this Vertigo ad. Actually, there's two Vertigo ads here you should see. Well, kind of three. First of all, check out this Vertigo ad. Okay. So <laughs> this is... A black and white picture of the Wesley Dodds Sandman. Yes. And over that, a bunch of words describing perhaps Vertigo comics. Yeah. One of them is arrogant and another one is oblique. Yeah. So it certainly gives you the impression of something. <laughs> Absurd. I don't know. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy Vertigo comics. This makes me feel like kind of a tool for that. Yeah. I th maybe it's just 90s as hell. And that's why we can't, like, really appreciate it. But saying, like, oh, it's perverse and irreverent and offensive and intoxicating and all these things, just, like, throwing up the adjectives of how you want your product to be perceived <laughs> seems... <laughs> but at the same time, like, I think that when I was, like, 13, this probably would have worked... As hell. This would have made you think Vertigo comics are pretty fucking sophisticated. I want to read all the fucking Vertigo comics. What I think is funny about this Which is I, that this I ad do. Is, I now do. I now do want to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have that task set for yourself. This makes them come off kind of pretentious, but the actual Vertigo comic it's in is like the pulpiest thing you can imagine. <laughs> right, yeah. This is not a pretentious comic book. Unless, I mean, maybe it's pretentious in the sense that the only reason we're letting it get away with being so offensive is that it's supposedly done in a knowing it's sort way. Sort of leaning on satire there, yeah. 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 But other than that, it's not what you would call pretentious. If you check out over here at the back of the book, we have a column from Warren Ellis describing wow. his new series Transmetropolitan starting next month and why you should read it. Oh my lord. In the future, smoking will be good for you. Called that one wrong. <laughs> no yeah but transmet is about being super anti-establishment so fuck the man and not smoking i guess is the message here 
Well, yeah, a very a very Dennis Leary-ish kind of sentiment, right? Yeah, yeah. And then below that, you have the rundown of every Vertigo comic that was going to come out next month, and little plot blurbs for all of them. Mm. Preacher number 28, which is right in the middle of Cassidy making the moves on Tulip. Right. Books of Magic, House of Secrets, Sandman Mystery Theater. All right. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. Now it's time for a segment I like to call, Hey Sean, Read This, where I startle Sean with a more recent Vertigo comic. Ah! This week, I have Batman Damned by Brian Azzarello and Lieber Miho. This is actually not a Vertigo comic book, but it features John Constantine prominently, and it's a DC Black Label book, which is sort of a different... Well, it's actually a brand new DC adult imprint. Well, I heard a little about this comic book, and then I went looking for the DC Black Label, and it's like it's like grown-up stories, but featuring the DC characters, featuring the superheroes. Mm-hmm. But it's like 90% Batman, what they have already. Well, it's 100% Batman, what they have already, because this is the only one that's been published. Oh, okay. It's a brand new imprint. But, yeah, I figured since it's an adult imprint, and it has Constantine in it, that's close enough to being Vertigo. So, hey, Sean, read this. Okay, so that was... Batman Damned, number one, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Lee Bermejo, cover by Lee Bermejo. There's a variant cover by Jim Lee and Alex Sinclair, but this is not it. Right, that's not the one we have. Okay, so the basic idea here, the Joker is dead. Batman investigates with the help of John Constantine. It's a little more complicated than that. Yeah, Batman is really investigating himself. Yeah, there's some weird flashbacks with Batman as a child, and it seems kind of like his father was having an affair, and also the Enchantress is talking to him. Yeah, the scene with the Enchantress doing street magic I thought was one of the most effective in the comic book. Well, there's a scene here where Zatanna is doing magic. Oh, that's what I meant, Zatanna. Is this the character from Suicide Squad? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought might be going on there. Yeah, so Batman was apparently on the bridge when the Joker was thrown off of it, and he doesn't remember what happened there. So Batman is a suspect in the murder of the Joker. Right. Why wouldn't he be? Even if he wasn't on the bridge. That's the first person you would ask. (laughs) That's the first person you would listen. (laughs) You didn't happen to off the Joker, did you? (laughs) Don't don't leave. I'm still looking at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He pulls that bit on Constantine, too, the the disappearing bit. Yeah. But at the end, it's not even clear that the Joker is really dead, because somebody kidnaps a rabbi, a priest, and a minister, and Batman goes to a church looking for them, and he finds John Constantine and a crucifix where Jesus has been Jokerfied. Yes. That's pretty scary. Yeah. So what else? Yeah, the Enchantress is talking to Bruce, and she kind of implies that she's doing so from outside time, which is how she's able to talk to him as a child. Right. Like, maybe she hasn't been bugging him for all these years. She's just bugging him in the past now. I I very much got that impression, that it was like a new memory of the past. Did I mention it seems like Bruce's dad was probably cheating on his mom? You did mention that, yeah. Okay. Black label, man. Yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yep. Let's see. The Joker's body disappears from the morgue. There's a part where Bruce tries to climb off of a bridge to get a penny that his dad accidentally threw off the bridge. And his dad yells, Do you want to get yourself killed? Which is an important question to ask Batman. You know, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah. 
there's Jim Gordon interviewing a homeless guy who says that he saw a monster kill the Joker, and Gordon doesn't buy it because he has faith in Batman. Then we see Batman chase that guy, and don't really know what comes of it. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't see if he ever catches him. He really. also asks Zatanna for help, and we don't see what her answer was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a cool bit there where he saw, like, a giant face made of smoke coming out of a out of a tunnel, accusing him of basically murdering the Joker. Joker murder. Yeah. There was a part where he growled at a dog and scared him away. Yes. Dead Man is also in this book. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come back to that. All right, yeah, and that's about it. That's issue number one. It but... set up a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, John Constantine is narrating, not a reliable narrator, as he points out himself, and his narration is pretty purple, which is what we've come to expect. He says that this is a story about Batman's life and all lives end, which is a bit of a spooky way to start. Yeah, so Constantine is narrating, and... Well, I, I want to get your thoughts before I jump into my own opinion too much, but I will just, little spoiler, say that I think Constantine's narration is my biggest problem with this issue. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's 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 all over the place, and it's very purple. And it's filling scenes with text that don't need to be. Yeah, he's talking a lot. He's not saying much. Goes on a diversion about how he thinks God is insane. And just in general, I, I don't know about I... Constantine being written by American writers. Okay. His voice kind of comes off as like a bad impression of Spike <laughs> from Buffy the Vampire Slayer whenever he's written by an American. <laughs> I can't say that it crossed my mind that way. Okay. I was wondering who it would be, figured it was probably Constantine, and then he dropped a lad in there, and I was like, okay, it's Constantine. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And I guess maybe what he's setting up there is Batman is God, Joker is the devil. That's the thematic underpinning there. Can God not go murder the devil? Uh, Batman is God, Kite Man is the devil. Oh. Uh, Joker is... Excuse me. Joker is human beings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have an idea where this is going to go, and I hope that's not it, but we'll see. What's that? Batman died on the bridge and Joker's in the Batman costume. Oh, well, that would be really interesting. He would have to have bulked up a lot, though, because the Bat computer said that he weighed 270 pounds. Joker has never weighed that sopping wet. Yeah. And that guy gets wet a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he always has, like, a sheen. <laughs> For starters. He probably does. He's wearing makeup. Unless yeah. he's not wearing makeup. I can't keep track of it these days. I suppose. Yeah. In the Nicholson version, he wears makeup all the time when he wants to look normal. Yeah, that's, that's right. He also wears a lot of makeup, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Brian Azzarello is a very gifted storyteller, obviously. This is the team responsible for Joker and Luthor. Yes. Which are modern classics. And the idea of Batman investigates the murder of the Joker is a good one. That's a story that seems like somebody had to do at some point. Constantine is an odd choice, but it sort of makes sense to have somebody who doesn't buy into superheroes bullshit there, and he is high on that list. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if all of the mystical characters in the DC universe needed to be in this. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it didn't have, uh, what's his name? You know, Detective Chimp. <laughs> In it. He, he I, wasn't there. I don't know that detective. I mean, I'm sore against the Enchantress because of the Suicide Squad movie, which isn't fair, but there it is. Dead Man is here. He has really weakened powers where he can only be in a person for, like, less than a sentence. Oh, really? Is that what's happening? He's just getting booted out of people, like, right away? Yeah. Boston Brand. 
Yeah, I guess I don't know where all the mystical characters fit into this. Right, and we don't... It seems like a a good idea for a Batman story that's really crowded right now. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces on the chessboard, and we don't know what is going to happen with them. And maybe some of the just Constantine running at the mouth is the same thing. It's also putting pieces on the chessboard that are going to that are going to pay off later, but yeah. you don't really get that impression. It kind of seems like he's just talking a lot. Yeah, so I will say I'm reserving judgment. That reminds me of, speaking of, like, British-accented narrators. Yeah. The Buffy episode, you know, Becoming Part 1. Yeah. If you haven't seen Becoming Part 2, a lot of the narration in Becoming Part 1 is going to seem like it's going nowhere. Oh, yeah? And I think it mostly pays off. Do you know how many issues are running here? This is one of three, I believe. Okay. The art is, of course, fantastic. I already mentioned the smoke face in the tunnel, which was probably my favorite part. Yeah. Batman looks like a fucking bruiser in it. Joker in his, like, one panel as a squished corpse has an appropriately spooky Joker face. Well, the the Jokerfied crucifix looks scary as hell. Yeah, that was pretty That's pretty really spooky. good. I think Constantine looks really good. He looks like he should. You know, like, sort of superficially charming, but then when the light on him is right, he also looks like a rundown bum. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Right. And I liked the device of showing us Batman's homeless guy beard and cap in the scene before he uses them so that we would recognize him there. You called out Zatanna's street magic scene and her design, and this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she looked great. This is magazine size, Mm -hmm. so you get like that little extra zoom in on the art, which just makes it that much more engrossing and lovely to look at. But yeah, that's my feeling right now. There's a lot going on. I would be happier to judge it in the presence of the other two issues so I could just see the whole thing and know what he was aiming at. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that answers the question of if you'll be reading any more. Sounds like interested. Yeah. Interested in Batman Damned number two. Yeah. And at that point, you'll be one issue away from the end, so yeah. <laughs> you might as well finish it. Yeah. Okay, so in our next Preacher episode... The man from God knows where. But first, join us next week for Sandman issue 50, Ramadan. Vertigize is written and hosted by me and Sean. Our music is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. Sean produces the show. I handle social media. If you like our show, why don't you check out our website at vertigize.blueberry.com. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. We've got lots more episodes plus show notes on every episode. Contact us by email vertiguys at gmail.com contact us on twitter at vertiguys and you can reach me at blankcastshawn facebook.com slash vertiguys is available for all your facebooking needs also be sure to spread the word about vertiguys on whatever platform you so choose we keep track of the apple podcast page and we'll call out positive reviews there and as always thanks for listening thanks everybody just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straightening the curves yeah. Flattening the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will <laughs> Did you know?
Did you know that the movie Three Days of the Condor is based on a book called Six Days of the Condor? They cut three days? They just apparently, they, they apparently fucked up the plot so much. They had to change the fucking title. Well, we didn't have room for all six days of the Condor. We didn't have room for all the days of the Condor. <laughs> uh, we're on a budget here. we got a movie to make. Oh, well, we only got Robert Redford for three days. <laughs>